Thank you for joining us at Luminous Church. And this morning, we hope that you see Jesus clearly. Good morning, everybody. Hello, my name is Chris Pate. And I am from City Life Church in Houston, Texas, one of our Every Nation churches there. We are um, rocking and going, and I feel right at home here because we meet in the movie theater as well. We've been doing it for about five and a half years now, about to sign on a building, which we're really excited about and been saving money, and, and our people have been so generous and giving above and beyond, and so we're very excited, but we've been doing this quite a while, and let me just say, you guys are doing an amazing job. Can we give the leaders a hand in this place that show up so early, that serve? You know, it, it is a labor of love. And sometimes it's loveless uh, in just labor, and we have to constantly remind, look at what God's doing, and look at the opportunity we have to share the gospel. And what a great place, I mean, honestly, be able to use this place. Um, how many of you guys like movies? Yeah, you big movie people? Me too. I love movies. And so as we've been doing the same thing, setting up in theater, we actually have to pay for parking in Houston. And so uh, we pay for everybody's parking as they come in. We have a parking garage. And, and so uh, we say, hey, we've already paid for your parking. You know, stay, relax, go you know, get a movie. Don't cheat. Don't leak in. Go buy a ticket. But, uh, you know, have a good time. And uh, it's on us. It's so awesome. And we've had so many great experiences. I think two Easter's ago, I'm in the middle of preaching and the, the radio comes on for the next movie. And so that was fun. We've had some things like that. It's just been an interesting thing with, with theater church. I mean, I, within our first month, um, I had some family come in town and visit. And uh, they, were, they were in town, and they were checking out, like, hey, you're doing church in a theater. Okay, this is interesting. They're kind of walking around and seeing everything. And at the end of service, my son at that time, who was, how old was he, seven, eight years old? He comes, he comes uh, up to his, his G-Paul, is what we call his grandfather. And he says, hey, can I, ha I, need, I need some uh, quarters. Can I have some quarters for the candy machine? And so my, my, my dad hands him money, as a good grandfather should do, right? And uh, he runs back, and I don't mean to be offensive, this is just life, but he, he runs back, and uh, in his hand, he has this thing that says sour, um, and he went into the vending machine in the bathroom um, and did not get candy, by the way, and we're all looking at this like, oh my gosh, um, wow, okay, so only at church... Um, can you get contraceptives for your kids in the bathroom? Uh, you know, we've had these experiences over the year, and it's been just an amazing journey and trip and uh, so fun. Uh, takes the religion out of church in a lot of ways, which is, I think, a great thing a lot of times. So my wife right here is Casey Pate. You stand up, say hi, beautiful redhead. Uh, we're coming up on 15 years being married, and we have a 12-year-old son, a 9-year-old daughter, and our youngest is four, year old, four years old, so uh, it's, it's been an exciting, exciting journey. My family is amazing. I was excited about coming here and, and Ben talking about, you know, you're going to start the series, so no pressure, um, on Have a Seat, and I love this title, this idea that it's not about me, and he said, I want you to speak a little bit 
on humility. He said, you're the most humble person I've ever met in my life. He didn't say that, but that's how I interpreted it. And uh, so I was like, yeah, you're right. I could totally speak on humility. You know, um, the Bible, Moses in the book of Numbers, he actually says about himself, Moses was the most humble man who ever walked the earth. And he wrote numbers. So it's okay, true humility. It's okay to, to share that. You're just being biblical um, if you're being humble. But I want to talk about this idea of have my seat. You know, it's interesting in our culture, we definitely have such a me culture, right? You can go to the gym and work on yourself while you look at yourself, while you read Self Magazine, right? And you can just live about just me and myself and I. I mean, everything in our culture now is I'm going to take a selfie, right? Me, myself, and I. And, and, and I mean, even, even now, I mean, you can't even do the nay-nay without saying, watch me, w watch me, like watch me, look at me, look what I can do, watch me, and I'm kind of tired of the nene, by the way, I won't do it for you, but I don't want to watch you do it. Um, I'm, I'm kind of done with it by now. And by the way, if you're not sure when things like go out of style, because things, you know, come and go, um, once, like I know for me, once my kids start doing it, it's probably not cool anymore. So, uh, but our whole culture is like me central, me, me, look at what I can do, pay attention to me. And that is the opposite of what Christ was and the opposite of what Christians should be. But why would that be appealing? Why should I say, have my seat? Why should I prefer you other than myself? Because really, for me, I've got to take care of myself, me, myself, and I. I've got to take care of this, and then I'll take care of you. And Jesus, I love Jesus because he gives us an example of something completely different. We say, seats taken, like Forrest Gump, right? Seats taken. He says, have my seat. And it took getting off of a seat in order to give one. I want to read the scripture, John 13, verses 1 through 15. It should be on the screen. It says this. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I love that. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, now get this right here, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my, me, my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward, afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. He's strong. 
Simon Peter said to him, uh, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. I want to pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Your word is life. Your word is about him. Lord, your word embodies Christ. Lord, I thank you. Even if we've heard this scripture and this word, I pray for revelation today. God, I pray for your spirit to move, not by my might or power, but by your power and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. In the midst of a world where it's all about me, Jesus flies in the face of this by saying, be like me. And how do I act? Very different from you. I mean, me and my wife were watching a, a couple of kids a few weeks ago and friends of ours and, and their little four-year-old. And we have our little four-year-old. And I'm talking to my four-year-old like, hey, Jackson, Jackson, jump, jump, jump. And he, he jumps up and down, jumps up and down. And the other four-year-old comes in. He's like, I can jump higher than that. I'm like, awesome, you know, like, and he's like jumping really high, trying to jump higher. And I mean, even at that young age, it's like, no, look at me, look at my thing. Look how I am. I can jump higher than that person. And we're so competitive and we're so, no, it's about me and my thing. And, and Jesus flies in the face of this. And if, if, if you're a believer in here, you know this because you've experienced some kind of humbling. And really, there's two types of humbling everyone will experience in their life. You will either humble yourselves or you will be humiliated. And it's not because God is after you in a bad way, but really in a good way. There's these two types of humility that I would prefer and I would hope you would prefer to just humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And in one day, one day he will lift you up. He will honor you. If you exalt yourself, the word of God says, you will be humbled. If you humble yourself, you will be exhausted, exalted. God wants to do that for you and through you. But most of us, I mean, most of us have to go through some kind of humility some kind of humiliation in our lives. Most of us have to be humiliated because we will not willfully humble ourselves. I mean, look at Peter in the story, right? So Peter is there. They're in the upper room. They're watching Jesus. And imagine Peter. Okay, we know, and most scholars believe, Peter was the oldest of the disciples. He was, he was married. We knew that because it talked about his mother-in-law. 
Um, when Jesus uh, and Peter came to Jesus and said, we have to pay taxes, um, Jesus said, okay, go fish and, you know, use your fishing gifting. And out of that came a coin, and it was enough for, to pay for Jesus' tax and Peter's tax. Now, if you're an equal opportunist, you're going, what about the rest of the disciples? Come on, Jesus. Well, they were under the age probably of 19. And Peter was one of the older ones. Peter was outspoken and brash because in that culture, the older disciples would speak out the most because they were kind of considered the elder disciple. And so Peter, being kind of the brash guy, being out there, wasn't the most humble guy in the world. And he had to be actually to a point of humiliation, like most of us. Because most of us don't naturally just humble ourselves. Or we think humility is actually thinking less about myself. I'm no good. And, and, and you kind of have this insecurity. And yet, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but actually thinking about yourself less. And so, for, for Peter, he thought a lot about himself. He couldn't wait to be like the leader. And he knew he was going to be just like Jesus. And that was the goal of a disciple, to be just like Jesus to the point where Jesus is walking on water. And Peter goes, well, I want to do that too. And he was the first one. He was the oldest. He stepped out. I'm going to get on the boat. And he started to walk on water. He was always, I'm going to be just like you. So now, imagine Jesus is in this upper room with all of these disciples. And Jesus takes off his outer garment and exposes himself, which humility will always expose you. He wraps a towel around himself. And he begins with that same towel to go around the table and wash each feet of the disciples. Imagine Peter's watching him going, man, what are you doing? Like maybe at first, you know, he's watching, he's washing a Judas Iscariot's feet, which is interesting that he did that, by the way. And, and maybe, maybe Peter's going, well, yeah, he should be washing that dude's feet. Like that dude, I've seen what he's been doing with the money a little bit. Like that dude needs some feet washing. I get that, right? And he gets around. He's like, okay, well, there's Andrew. You know, okay, he's my bro. You know, I know that dude. He needs his feet washed for sure, right? And, and it's so easy to be like, yeah, that guy needs that. That person, man, they really need Jesus. But me, I'm good. And I think sometimes the worst can be Christians that get that. I, I get that person needs Christ and needs something, but man, I've, I've, I've got it, like I'm good, I've got it taken all together, I'm good to go, and, and there's a sense of humility that has been lost, and imagine he gets all the way around, and he gets to Peter, and Peter says, wait, 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 you're going to wash my feet? Like, I'm the man here, right? You know I'm your successor, right? Watch me nay-nay, like I got this down, you don't have to do this, he says, you're going to wash my feet. He says, no. And this is the same person that even has rebuked his rabbi when, when, when he says, no, you were not going to go get killed. You're not going to be crucified. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Calls him Satan, right? Get behind me. It's amazing. What did it take to humble him? I think another thought Peter might have had is seeing his rabbi who he was going to be just like expose himself and do this menial, horrible, low task of washing people's feet that a servant should do. And he's going, no, no, you're, you're my master. Like, you're Lord. You're the teacher. You should not be doing this. 
You should not be the one lowering yourself. That's not your job. And I think maybe part of him was going, I, I, I kind of realized that because I want to be just like you, I'm going to have to do that. And he's going, I'm not going to do that. And Jesus says, you have no part of me if you don't allow me to wash your feet. And he says, okay, then wash my head, my hands, everything. Wash my whole body. And I love it, Jesus. It's really interesting. He says, as you walk in the world, you get dirty. You don't need, you've already been cleansed by my word. You don't need a full body cleansing anymore. And I think this is a beautiful teaching for Christians is that you still have to come to Jesus, not ultimately for salvation, but your feet get dirty walking in the world of selfishness, and you still need to come to him daily, moment by moment, to say, wash my feet. But if he has to wash all of you all over, that's, that's not a believer. You are washed once in the blood. You are redeemed by him. But now we continue to come to him because we're in a dirty world. But listen, we also have some of this dirt that we're collecting. It's not just them that are bad. It's me that has to continue in righteousness and what God has called me to do. But see, when I forget that, I can get to the point. Like maybe Peter, like they need this, not me. I'm good. They need this. And he says, no, you can't have a part of me if you don't let me wash your feet. This humbling, I think, began here. And then later, Jesus says, in the same context, somebody's going to deny me. And Peter's going, surely not me. It will not be me. I mean, so much to the point when the guards come to get Christ, he cuts off one of the soldier's ears, and he's like, I'm going to fight for you. And Jesus says, no, put your sword down. You live by the sword. You will die by the sword. His real humiliation came when he was watching Christ being beaten and put to trial. And people came to him and said, don't you know him? Weren't you, aren't you from Galilee? Weren't you with him? And he denies him three times. And even to the point of saying, I, I, I'll be damned if I'm with him. This level of humiliation, the Bible says Jesus looked up at Peter and all of a sudden, he was so humiliated with who he was and with his denial of his very Lord. We find him after the death of Jesus back fishing his old life. The beauty of humiliation is that there is a redeemer. And I think we've all been there. Like, we've all had a moment of humiliation. And let me tell you, humiliation occurs where failure is present. Like, pride is in our lives when we're like, everything's going good. I've got everything together. And my finances are good. I've got the this and this and this. And, and humiliation occurs when failure is present. But see, humility, godly humility, or humbling yourself occurs where God is present. See, when I fail, I feel humiliated. I mean, I remember being, I was never the greatest basketball player, especially when I first started off. And me and my wife, we've known each other since we were nine years old. So I remember watching her play basketball in junior high, and it was hilarious. 
hilarious. But she wouldn't watch me because I wasn't that good. And so I was in seventh grade. I was on the B team because I was short and not great. And I'm playing basketball. And I remember one of my first games of just learning seventh grade basketball. And uh, I, remember, I remember getting this rebound, a, a, a defensive rebound, and then just chunking it back up in the wrong goal. One of the most humiliating moments of my life as a seventh grader, right? Because I just get the rebound, throw it up, and everybody's like, right? Thankfully, I'm so bad I missed. So it wasn't too bad, and I almost got another rebound. So that's kind of what I was trying to do, coach. Like, I was trying to just stack my rebound records and just keep rebounding the ball. I wanted a double-double from just rebounding, right? Offense and defense. So, But I felt so humiliated at that moment, and everybody's looking, and no, and of course, I got benched, and I'm just sitting there like Charlie Brown, like, oh, That humiliation, see, humiliation occurs when failure is present, and people see a failure in your life, whether it's a marriage or a girlfriend or or some kind of addiction or just something small when you say, I'm this and I'm acting like this, and you get exposed and caught, and transparency happens, and it always forces that kind of level of transparency. My dad was telling me, I was talking to him on the phone last week. He lives in Arkansas, and he, he goes to one church and drums, but he would go in and he would drum it at this other church, and it was a newer church and kind of getting, it's been, been going for a while, but he had been drumming in a little more contemporary church, and he's, my dad's a really great drummer, and, and he was telling me uh, the pastor of that church um, was found out to be on the Ashley Madison mailing list. And now is going through, and, and we've heard of a lot of pastors, government officials, different people. What happens is humiliation occurs where failure is present. And now this humiliation occurred and happened because something got exposed. And humiliation will always force exposure. It'll force you to go, not, not to have my seat, but take my seat. Like, you got to take it. I can't do this. It'll force that. Where true humility and having a humble posture before the Lord, it doesn't come just out of failure. It actually comes where God is present. You see this all throughout the scriptures where you've got people downcast and hurt. You've got Jeremiah. You've got Isaiah. You've got these people that are just downcast. And God shows up and ignites them with power. And they realize it's not about me, it's about him. And there's this level of humble confidence. But it's because they chose to humble themselves instead of waiting till they were exposed and became humiliated. Being humble is not hard in the light of knowing God. If you really know this God and the power of God, you will humble yourself freely. You will be vulnerable and open up and be transparent because you know you serve an awesome, amazing God who's not there to harm you, but actually was harmed for you. And not, not, he's not the one saying, I think a lot of people in religious circles here, you should humble yourself because God wants you to. And there's truth to that. But listen, we don't humble ourselves 
and become transparent and vulnerable just because God wants us to. We do it because God did it. Because he did it. We just follow his example. And I love this example right here. It's so powerful in the scripture that we are reading because it says this in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, other translation says, Jesus, when it dawned on him that all authority was his and that he came from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper and he picked up the garment and the towel and he said it. He sat down and started washing their feet. Here's the question. What do you do when it dawns on you that you are the most powerful person in the room? Maybe you're a leader in your area, in your ministry, maybe in your home. What do you do? Because Jesus, it dawned on him. Something happened to him where he goes, I'm about to be given all authority. And he didn't go, okay, now, guys, here's what I need you to do for me. I'm thirsty. I'm parched, okay? I want a steak, and I need a goblet of something cool and refreshing. Like, he didn't do that right. He, it dawned on him that he had this power, that he had authority, and he immediately went to his knees. He immediately went to serve. This is how we humble ourselves before God, is when you realize, if you're a believer in here, you realize what Christ has done for you, and you realize the authority and power that he has placed on your life in washing your sins away, giving you freedom to walk in this life. Maybe if you realize, maybe you're a boss in here and you realize, I have authority over this person and this person and these people, instead of leveraging that authority for my good by stepping on people, look what Christ did. He said, I have authority now. I'm going to go serve somebody. Because I recognize it's still not my own. It's given from God. Why should I give up my seat? I'm always looking for a way to leverage my seat, my leadership, my power, myself, really ultimately for the benefit of others in the room. Here's the question. Are you willing to lose so someone else can gain? Are you willing to give up that parking spot so that someone else can have it and you can park way down and get some exercise, burn some calories on your way to the grocery store? Are you willing to let someone in your lane so that they can win even if you lose? There is a humility that should be marked in every believer. And there should be a, a, a swag that a believer has, but not the same kind of swag that every other, everybody else has. There's an entourage you should have with you, but it's people that you're pushing forward, encouraging beyond, not pulling, dragging, trying to get them to serve you. Are you willing to leverage your abilities and strengths for someone else? To do otherwise is to declare that you are greater than your master. 
If you're a person here, you say, Jesus is my Lord, and you lord over people, you're, you're saying ultimately you're greater than him. He says, no, no, no. Mimic me. Do what I do. To do otherwise is to demonstrate weakness, not strength. Most of the time, we leverage things for ourselves because really we're insecure and we've got to show everybody else how great we are. But see, if you're secure in Christ and what he's called you to be, you don't have to leverage that for other people, but, but, but from other people, but you can actually do it for other people. You can encourage them and be with them and say, listen, have my seat. You can be here. I honor you. In doing so, in humbling himself, Jesus became the supreme example of the leader who could be trusted with power because he was ready to give it up. Look at our Jesus. Fully trustworthy with my sin and my transparency because he, when he had all power, gave it up. Here you go. One of the best examples of that is our first president, George Washington. You know, our, our nation was ready to make him an emperor and king and continue a legacy and continue to be a president after a, a couple terms. And he said, no, I am not going to do that. I'm going to lay it down. And I'm not going to allow this nation to be governed by just one person. Other people need this. And he laid it down. That is somebody you want to follow. Not somebody that is just, follow me, follow me, but hey, I want to follow you. I want to encourage you. I want to ignite you. I mean, that is Jesus. I have power. I'm going to serve you. This level of humility is how you conquer self-centeredness that has the power to derail your life. That self-centeredness is always the root of ultimate humiliation, of ultimate failure. And God says, be like me. You know why we should give up our seat freely? Because Christ gave up his throne. He's sitting on a throne in heaven, enjoying all eternity with the Father. And he said, I'm going to go down, be born in a horse trough around a bunch of horse dung, not come in as a mighty ruling king, but as a really slave to another kingdom Rome. And I'm going to show them how to live and love them to the end. And then... Not only am I going to wash my disciples' feet and show my ability to humble myself. Now, listen, Jesus chose, none of us would do this. Jesus chose to humiliate himself by being fully naked and exposed and beaten till he's unrecognizable and hung on a cross for you and me. Why should I give up my seat? Because he gave up his and he gave up his so that I now can be seated with him. So how could I not do the same thing for someone else? 
How can I say, Jesus is my Lord, he gave up everything so that I can have everything in him, and yet I see that person and go, no, 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 seat's taken, mine. No, no, no. The act of a believer is one of humbling ourselves constantly because we've seen how humble our Lord is and how humiliated he became for us in dying the death we should have died, and living the life we should have lived. There's no greater reason. There's not, to, I could give you like three points. Well, if you're more humble, people love you more, and people are gonna follow you, yeah, yeah, yeah. But ultimately, the main reason you should humble yourself is because he did it. To be like him, but also out of our love for him. Look at, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 11, it says this, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then he says, why? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now let's see what Jesus did. Who through, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In view of his mercy, be merciful. In view of his selflessness, be unselfish. Not because you're trying to earn your way in righteousness, but because he has earned your affection. Looking at him and going, I want to be humble. I want to be someone who will open my heart to allow people to come in and help me. You know, part of our job in church is to say, hey, let's, let's disciple you. Let's get involved. Come serve. I think there's no other way to humble yourself Besides seeing Christ and allowing that affection, I think another way to do it is building community with other people. There's nothing more humbling than coming alongside somebody and saying, I need your help, not I got this together. There's no better way in the context of like church than saying, I want to come in and serve. I want to help. I want to allow people to come into my life. I'm going to humble myself so I don't have to be humiliated. I'm going to expose myself and be vulnerable now so that I can see healing and not wait until I'm humiliated. One last story. When I was in Abilene, Texas, we had a guy in our church, and he was a police officer who trained German shepherds, like these drug 
um, uh, these drug dogs that would sniff out the drugs. And he had these German shepherds, and he was a master trainer. I mean, just unbelievable. And one of our worship leaders got himself, him and his new wife, they didn't have any kids. They got a dog, and they got this German shepherd. They got a little, a little baby puppy German shepherd. And he went to, to this police officer and said, will you teach me, train me, show me how to train this German shepherd? And so the police officer took him out to a park and get the leash and now walk him. And the dog's, you know, a little rebellious, a little, you know, not trusting and, you know, just, it's just kind of in his nature. And he's just kind of dragging him along, getting him. And, and, and at one point, this police officer told my friend, okay, you're going to have to do something and this is going to be hard. We've been walking him around. We've been trying to talk to him, train him, give him a treat, but you're going to have to do something. See, this dog thinks he's the alpha male. He thinks he is the man, and he owns you. Here's what you're going to have to do with this dog, and this is what they do. You need to pin this dog on the ground, and you have to hold him there. And he's going to fight, and he's going to try to bite you, and sure enough, that happened. He's getting bit, bleeding a little bit, but he says you have to pin him. And you do this. You pin him down and just wait till he finally relaxes. He will finally do this and expose his neck. And what he is ultimately saying is, you are Lord. You are Alpha. I submit to you. And so my friend, he pins him down and it just hurts him. He's just like, oh, I don't, I feel like, it, like I'm hurting. He's like, no, you're not hurting. Just do it. You have to show him that you're in charge. And he's just pinning and the dog's freaking out, going crazy. Finally, the dog exposes his neck in, in gesture saying, you are alpha. You're the master. And he gets him and the dog is so obedient from this point listening to him, attentive. And my friend Troy, the police officer, tells him, now here's the deal. There's going to be one more time in the life of this dog. There's going to be one more time. He will try to, try to bite you, try to challenge you. And he said, all you have to do is pin him one more time. It might be a little harder, but you need to pin him and just do the same thing. And he said, after that, he will never challenge you again. He'll be loyal to you. I think about this story with the idea of humiliation. That we go about our life and we do our thing and something either humiliates us or pins us to the ground and it's the first time maybe we're open to say, God, uh, uh, okay, do whatever. But it took a level of humiliation to finally say, okay, you are God, you are Lord, I submit myself to you. And God allows these things so we will humble our heart and ultimately see that he is good and that he is right. But sometimes we come back and we rebel, and we try to bite again, and he has to remind us, I am Lord, and I do this because I love you. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. And we can do it because Jesus on this earth said, I choose to let the Lord pin me. And I'll bleed for you when you try to bite me and rebel 
and I'll take it for you. Will you take it for me? Let's pray. God, I thank you, Lord, that you lost your throne, not out of failure, but out of choice. You chose to dethrone yourself to come here for us, Lord. So that we could take up your throne and your mantle. Lord, make us a humble people that are willing to sacrifice our very lives for others. As your word says, no greater love than this, that someone lay down his life for a brother. Give us that same passion for people that don't know you, Lord, for people that are hurting and addicted. Lord, give us the same compassion that you have on us every day. Help us to humble ourselves and serve one another as you serve us, God. If you're in here and this is hitting you, you know what, God, I've got some pride. I know the Lord's humbling me for some things. I want to challenge you. Talk to a leader. Find somebody. There's great discipleship movement and programs in, in this church. People that want to help you and encourage you. If you're in here and you're saying, you know what, I know God is working on me and doing something. Just lay back and allow him to do his work and trust him to complete it. Let other people get in your life, encourage you. Give up your seat, being Lord of your heart, and allow him to enter in. Build community in this place. God, I thank you for such a great church and humble leaders. Lord, convict our heart to do something. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to take a second and ask my wife to come up and come here, Ben. And uh, I just want the opportunity to be able to pray for your pastor. You know, um, he, he won't say this, and pastors shouldn't necessarily say this uh, in their own church. But, you know, October is Pastor Appreciation Month. Did you know that? Um, I don't know if you knew that. I'm sure you did. No, you didn't. Uh, can you lose for your pastor and bless them? Even if you don't get encouraged, encourage them. Maybe if you don't get something from a message, oh, that was good, Pastor. I'm not getting fed, all that. Who cares? Feed somebody. Bless somebody. Can we bless these guys for their hard work? 5.30 in the morning coming here. They've been here over a year just doing an amazing job. I want to pray for this couple and just ask God to continue to continually ignite them. Will you do me a favor and stand up in just honor of them? And some of you, if you want to stretch out your hands in prayer and uh, just bless these guys, come here. Let's pray for you. Lord, I thank you for Ben and Brandy. God, I thank you for their humility, God. I thank you that they are so humble, willing to do any task. There's nothing too small for them to do, God. I pray that you um, lengthen their shoulders and their influence in this place, God. 
Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you will give them grace upon grace to do all that you have called them to do, God. Lord, I pray you bring more people alongside them to lift their arms, God, when they're discouraged. Father, we pray health over their family. Lord Jesus, we pray health over their finances, God. Father, I pray that they will see your abundance, God. Lord, that you will do more, exceedingly more than anything they can even think or ask, God. And I pray you, Lord, for that, Lord. I pray for more people to come in here to receive your word, to receive your church, and embrace this community, Father, and Luminous Church to be a light in this place, God. I pray for a sense of honor, God, and rebuke any familiarity, God, in this place of, yeah, that's them or that's that. Father, we honor them in Jesus' name, and we thank you, Lord, that they are serving you and loving you and about you, God, and not their agenda, but about yours, Lord. I thank you for that. As I was praying this morning for you, Ben, I got just a weird picture, and it's because I watch too many movies, but I got a picture while I was praying of, have you seen the movie Ant-Man? Okay, it's really good. You should see it. And, and I saw this, and I felt like the Lord was saying in this movie, he like shrinks down to an ant, but he still is really strong. And it's powerful because even in this small state, he's strong. And I just felt like the Lord saying, I have equipped you and you have humbled yourself, but don't think that's weakness. I've actually equipped you in that small thing. I'm going to make you even stronger in some of the small things that you're not sure about. You know a lot of the big gifts and things that you have, but those small things, I'm going to equip you and you're going to see strength upon strength in those things as well, okay? Can we bless this awesome couple? Thank you, thank you. Hey, let's give it up for Pastor Chris and Casey for taking time out of, out of their busy church life. I mean, they're busy. They start two services next Sunday. And man, if you know anybody in Houston who doesn't have a church home, City Life Church. City Life Church, an amazing church, an amazing, amazing community that's going on there. And um, stood with Chris for a long time. We've been praying for a building for over three years over three years, they've been giving towards a building that they have not had yet, and uh, God is just showing up, and, and we believe that this property is just going to go through for them, and so can we pray for them? Can we stand for them? Jesus, we just love you, God. Thank you for Chris and Casey. God, thank you for their faithfulness, God. Truly, truly, a man of humility, a woman of humility. God, we bless them. We bless them in every way, God, and we just pray, God, for this building. We just pray, God, that it would, it would absolutely go through and be a place they could call home. God, that there would be much ministry, men, much, many salvations, many people discipled for many generations. Thank you for them. Bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, on your way out this morning, um, you may notice that it's not as passionate and exciting this morning because all our college students are gone. And so they're all gone. We got a bunch of college students at a region retreat. They come back today. We're believing God um, just for their lives and, and, um, and excluding our med students, which they don't go anywhere because they just study all the time. And so, man, they'll be back next week at 10 o'clock. But we're so thankful that you are here with us this morning worshiping God and being a part of this family. If you need prayer for anything on your way out this morning. We have prayer workers right up here. Um, and so come get prayer. You're dismissed. Have an awesome, awesome Sunday.